Section 14 of Northern Trails, Book 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Melissa Jean. Northern Trails, Book 2, by William J. Long. The Story of Copsheep, Part 2. So three months passed in the ocean, and our little smolt had now become a grilsey, or gilsey, a beautiful fish of four pounds weight, with his silver sides spotted like a trout. Only the spots were large and black, instead of being small and red. As the summer waned, scores of small salmon began to move uneasily along the rocky ridges where the grilse were hiding. A fever seemed to spread through the water, and the salmon and grilse alike stopped their ravenous feeding. One morning the salmon moved off together, as if at command, and Copsy, with hundreds of his fellow grilse, followed them, the fever of motion growing stronger and stronger as they followed up the well-known flavor of their own river. Near the shore they stopped for a few days, waiting for the tides of a full moon. And old Daddy Crummet, who for weeks had not seen a salmon, set his nets again and found them each morning full to overflowing. Then, when the tide was highest, the shoals surged into the river's mouth, past the rocky point where the seals were waiting and barking like hungry dogs at the smell of meat. With a rush our grilsey shot past the point, where the water boiled and flashed, as the shoal doubled away from their savage enemies. A lively young seal plunged after Copsheep, but the grilsey was too quick, and the seal turned aside after a large and lazier fish. So he gained the fresh water safely, and journeyed swiftly upward through the lakes, jumping and playing in his strength, till he came to the first swift run of water below the little falls. Here he put his nose down in an eddy, behind a sunken rock, and caught the current on his fins and tail, in such a way as to hold himself in place without conscious effort. Resting for his first leap, and for the hard rush through the rapids above the falls, while he waited here, Copsheep felt his stomach shrinking within him. There were fish in the river, minnows and trouts and eels, and lazy chub that the mink and fishhawk were catching. But Copsheep watched them indifferently, and suffered them to go their own ways unmolested. Strangely enough, all his voracious appetite of the past few months had left him, and lucky it was too, for otherwise a single run of salmon would destroy every trout and frog and little fish in the river. And that is perhaps why nature takes away the salmon's appetite, and keeps it for him all the while that he is going on a journey in fresh water. As he lay in his eddy resting, or playing with any bright-coloured thing that the current brought him, a troop of little silver smolts went hurrying and flashing by on their way to the sea. Though he knew it not, they were the little sisters that he had left as par in the shallows when he went away four months ago. No wonder Copsheep did not recognise them, for they were hardly as big as the caplin that he had been eating by scores for weeks past. He watched them curiously as they darted past, wondering where they came from and why they hurried so. Then he moved up under the falls, and began to jump and poke his head out of the foam to study the place. As the salmon were doing before he took his leap, he tried it at last, flung himself headlong into the falls, and was promptly knocked end over end, and in a wink found himself bruised and quivering back by his own rock again. That seemed to teach him a wisdom, for at the next attempt he shot through a black eddy from which all the salmon took their leap, flung himself upward in a glorious arc, struck fair in the swift water above the falls, and in an instant was flashing and plunging up through the rapids. Not till he reached a great pool two or three miles above did he halt, and then he settled down in another eddy to rest for his next effort. So he journeyed upwards for nearly two months, tarrying below the worst rapids for a fall of water, and wading in the rains wherever the river spread into broad shallows that hardly covered the salmon as they wriggled and splashed their way upward. 
here one moonlit night something like a black stump stood squarely athwart copsey's path he was splashing his way toward it when a sudden alarm made him halt behind a rock a heedless fat salmon went lumbering by the stump suddenly started into life then the fat salmon went flying out on shore from the sweep of a paw and mooween the bear went humping and jumping after him to catch him before he could scramble back into the river that was enough for our grilsey ever afterward when he saw one on moonlit nights a black rock or stump in the shallows he watched a while to see if it moved before going through the dangerous place and this is the test which all salmon and trout apply to every suspicious object if it moves it is dangerous whether on land or water that is why you catch only flashing glimpses of them as you walk along the bank while on the other hand if you sit very still on a rock in the salmon pool and trail your toe or finger or a single leaf in the current you may see a big salmon move up to examine it leisurely and sometimes he will spatter water all over you as he plunges at the object in play and whirls back to his eddy again late in october Copsey found himself once more in the shallows at the mouth of the brook where he was born he went straight to the root under which he used to hide but the familiar place was grown so small that his head would not go into it and the eddy there that used to hold him securely was now of no consequence whatever so he took to cruising leisurely around the tiny world that had once seemed to him so big and full of danger danger why this was a place of absolute peace compared with the dragon-haunted green forests under the sea he was so big now that a thrill tingled all through Copsey as he darted aside making the shallow water roll and bubble and whirled and doubled madly and flashed in and out of the startled river with a long black snaky wake doubling after him as if it was his own shadow that he was trying to escape like a flash he rose and leaped back a clear eight feet over the shadow which doubled softly and seized another grilsey that was ploughing furrows in a gravel nest out of the troubled waters slid first the head then the long back and tail of an otter which climbed the bank and stood mewing over her catch two more shadows glided into the river at her call making our grilsey jump and flash away and hide again but the newcomers were only two otter cubs that as yet had learned to catch only stupid chub and suckers in a moment they were out on the bank crouched with their long backs arched like frightened cats nibbling daintily at the salmon while copsey forgetting all about them roamed boldly over the shallows looking for a little salmon to be his mate he found her at last preparing her nest just below the mouth of the brook and began circling watchfully about her other grilsey were numerous and in searching for a mate they would enter his circle aggressively as if it were a chip that copsey were carrying on his shoulder like a flash he would rush at them lock jaws and tug and push and bully them out of the circle then when he returned he had to bite and gouge and drive away the sea trout huge fellows some of them as big as himself that swarmed hungrily about waiting for the feast of salmon eggs it was late autumn the banks were strangely still and white and ice had formed over all the still pools when copsey turned downstream again leaving the eggs of his mate safely covered in the new nest he was like a kelt or black salmon now that is a dark fish that had grown thin and hungry from tarrying and fasting too long in fresh water down he went through the rapids and over the falls in a desperate hurry that made him speed faster than the swift river which had seemed so wonderful on his first journey in the springtime in a single day's racing he covered the entire distance snapping up every little fish that crossed his swift path and the next day found him back in his den in the rocky ridge under the ocean this was the salmon's own forage and ground 
and among the multitudes that swarm there Copsey saw numerous fat young grilsey almost as big as himself but he knew not that these were the same little sisters he had met coming down and that had changed rapidly from smolt to grilsey while he was fighting his hard way up the river the few rare fishermen who visit this part of the coast wonder why in this river and indeed in many others they catch only male grilsey but the reason is probably a very simple one the females pass the grilsey state in the ocean growing steadily until the following spring when males and females enter the river together as fully developed salmon of eight or ten pounds weight all winter long our young grilsey famished by his long fasting gorged himself and grew fat and doubled his weight when the may moon drew near her full the migratory fever ran again along the rocky ridge under the ocean for even down there in the cold green underworld nature comes with the same message that sets the buds to swelling and the birds to singing the largest salmon felt it first and drifted away in a dense shoal following up the delicate flavour of their own river as a dog follows an air scent or else remembering as a mule does every turn and winding of the trail that has once been followed a month later copsey with hundreds of his fellows moved leisurely away after them he was a salmon now and had to take his chances with the seals that watched on the point of rocks and that neglected all other fish when the first run of salmon came plunging in through the breakers he had passed them safely after a lively chase and was playing and jumping hilariously in the pool at the head of the first lake when a curious accident sent him hurrying back to the sea and that was only the beginning of a long chain of causes which made him bigger than all his fellows on the lake were a pair of loons that had a nest on a bog hard by and that were always fishing huckweem was deep under water chasing a big trout one day which darted in a copseep's pool and vanished under a root as huckweem sped noiselessly by trailing a great string of silver bubbles the waving of a great tail caught his eye just beyond the root and like a flash he plunged at it diving his pointed bill deep into copseep's side had it been a big trout the blow would have stunned him on the spot but at the first touch the salmon tore himself free and leaped clear of the water huckween passed on seeing his mistake and the next moment copseep was back in the pool fanning the water quietly as if nothing whatever had happened since entering fresh water copseep's appetite had vanished but now it began suddenly to gnaw again this was simply nature's way of telling him to go back to the sea where he might be healed it was not the pain of his wound for like other fish he seemed to feel nothing of that kind had he stayed in the fresh water the parasites would speedily have fasted on the raw flesh and killed him but of that he knew nothing he simply felt hungry and remembered that in the sea there was food in abundance salmon fishermen have always noticed how wounded fish suddenly begin feeding sometimes when the wound is no more than the mark of a net which has split a fin or brushed off a ring of scales around the head the marked salmon will plunge at a fly more vigorously than any of his fellows in the pool and will even take worms or a shiner if your sportsmen allow you to offer them so copseep feeding only the hunger which was nature's simple direction without her explanations turned swiftly back to sea and almost within the hour was resting in his old den under the rocks again he stayed all summer long while other salmon moved off in successive shoals and battled their way up the river Copsey, whose migratory fever seemed to be cured by the thrust of a loon's bill, gave himself up to the unlimited abundance of the ocean, and discovered for himself, one day, a new and delicious food supply. It was late in the summer after the kaplan had passed by, and Copsey, after his wont, 
was gliding in and out of the green forest arches and poking his hungry nose into every den among the rocks in a little arched doorway with some waving green weeds for a curtain his nose touched something soft which instantly shrank back closer to the sheltering rock Copsy pulled it out promptly and found a small lobster, which was hiding there, waiting for its new shell to grow. A delicious taste, the most wonderful he had ever experienced, filled his mouth as he bolted the morsel. All excitement after the manner of feeding fish, Copsy put his nose into another den and found another lobster, a bigger one, that offered no resistance as he was dragged out and eaten. It was also different from previous experience that the salmon knew not what to make of it. He had often passed lobsters before, crawling slowly along the bottom on the tiptoes of their queer legs, or shooting backward like winks and hiding in the mud when frightened by a huge and hungry sea bass. Their shells were too hard for Copsey to think of cracking, and besides, each lobster carried two pairs of big ugly jaws in front of him as he yee-yawed along. These jaws were always wide open, one pair armed with little teeth for catching and holding things, and the other with big teeth for crushing whatever was caught. So Copseep had wisely let the lobsters alone, and had no idea that they were good to eat. Now, however, the hard shells had all split along the backs, and the lobsters left the shoal water and the fishermen's lobster pots to seek out deep hidden caves among the rocks. There they crawled out of the old shells and lay very quiet in hiding, waiting for the new shells to grow hard enough to make it safe for them to venture out into the world once more. End of part two. End of section 14.